You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast, Terps in the Pros edition. It's Matt Levine and Jordan Gold with you today. Lila not here, but we'll still continue the podcast and We'll recap week 13 of the NFL, preview week 14. We'll go over some NFL draft stuff of potential guys that are Maryland guys right now that are that have declared, could potentially declare. Maybe go over some NBA stuff and or NBA draft stuff, and then we'll definitely go over pros in the NBA. So we'll start with the NFL, and we'll start with Darnell Savage, who had another interception, his second of his career. He's looked so good, so consistent, and I think – this is one of his best games, four tackles, one pick, and one pass deflected. So, I mean, obviously it was against the Giants, but still impressive from Darnell Savage. Yeah, but that interception, you kind of, you know, have to take it a little bit with a grain of salt because Daniel Jones just threw it literally right to him. But right place at the right time, he made the play. A lot of You see a lot of safeties who will maybe drop that pass. So, so by Savage, and now he uh, – he ranks 11th in the NFL for all rookies and tackles, and he's now tied with a big group with two interceptions uh, for the lead for all the rookies. And, you know, it was it was nice to see Savage get back on track on Sunday. He had struggled a bit after coming back from his ankle injury. I mean, not really struggled, but struggled compared to how well he had played before the injury. So it was good to see him get back out there and get a pick. Um, I saw he was the fifth highest... Um, Pro football focus grade for the Packers defense, so that's always good to see. I mean, the Packers defense has been really up and down this season. The secondary has has been the strength, but it hadn't been playing as well in recent weeks. And, you know, you get a team like the Giants, a rookie quarterback, and Daniel Jones, and that's always, in the snow especially, that's always a confidence booster for a defense. And I think you saw that with Savage and the Packers. And he's been so consistent where he's just putting up every game he has – a few tackles, maybe an interception, a couple of pass deflections. He's really become a solid secondary player for this team. And their defense wasn't as good last year, and I think he's part of the reason why it's getting so much better. He's definitely been a part of that uh, Green Bay Packers uh, defense resurging into uh, getting out of the bottom of the NFL when it comes to defense. But, I mean, he has he's been solid all season long, and... He's not gonna win. He's not gonna win the rookie of the year like we had hoped uh, back in the first couple weeks when he was, you know, really lighting the world on fire. I think the injury really put him out of contention, and then also Nick Bosa has been playing so well, and a couple other rookies. But I think he'll be up there, and I think he definitely has a chance to uh, be, you know, on that all rookie team. I think he's a he's a great player. He has such a bright future, and. You know, it's good to see him uh, balling out, and they have the Redskins this week, so that's another rookie quarterback that uh, he has an opportunity to potentially feast on. And this game is in Green Bay, so not technically coming back. If he did play Washington in Maryland, then he could potentially stay at the hotel at at the University of Maryland, but instead it's in Green Bay, so we'll be on the lookout for that. And DJ Moore also had a pretty good day. He's become... Very consistent the last couple weeks as well. It's crazy. The past six weeks or so, the emergence of DJ Moore. I mean, he had been playing really well. I mean, throughout the whole season, he had been getting, you know, right around. He'd be getting like five to nine catches, like 
70 to 90 yards, but the past six, five, six weeks, he has really, really turned it up. And, you know, he goes for six catches last week, 75 yards, and gets his fourth touchdown of the season. I mean, unfortunately for the Panthers, they lost the Redskins. They've been losing a lot. Head coach Ron Rivera took them to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, gets fired. And, I mean, it's unfortunate, but Moore has just been killing it even as the Panthers descend into, you know, a high draft pick. And he now ranks fourth in the NFL in receiving yards. He's at 980, and that is he's going for 13.2 yards per reception, which is so good. And, I mean, you got to say, I mean, he's looking well on his way to a Pro Bowl. I mean, he has really emerged as one of the best young receivers in the league. And, I mean, Really, I mean, the stats speak for themselves. He's playing like one of the best receivers in the league in general. I mean, the only guys you have ahead of him is Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, and uh, Mike Evans. I mean, he is he has been spectacular, and I can't say enough for how well DJ Moore has played. And to get the Falcons this week, which should be a, another uh, good matchup for him. And it's so interesting to see that he had one touchdown basically the whole year, and then the last two weeks he's had three, so... I mean, just he's he's completely dominating now. I don't know what kind of changed, but he's really been able to find the end zone. We talked about it. Will he be able to do it this week? And each week it kind of didn't happen, and now it's happened three times in the past two weeks. So I think that could continue, and he could potentially go up there as one of the top ten receivers this year. I mean, he's doing it in terms of yards. Um, if he gets a little more touchdowns by the end of the year, I think there's – is it, you can make an argument that he's up there. I feel like with the way he's been playing, I mean, there's there's no reason not to believe he doesn't have, you know, at least like one or two more touchdowns in the bag right there. I mean, they did cert, I mean, you have to, I don't know what they've been doing, but you have to just see that they have been putting an emphasis on getting the ball to DJ Moore in the end zone. I mean, he had against the Saints two weeks ago, one of them was a big deep ball, 51 yards, but then the past two, that last one against the Saints, that was at the goal line. And then, the one last week, I, th- I think it was around like a 13-yard strike. So, I mean, he's really become a much more reliable target in the red zone. And I think that, obviously, in the red zone, they're going to look to Christian McCaffrey all day, every day, just because he's so good. But I think that Moore is, you know, solidifying himself as that number two target in the red zone. Stefan Diggs, a guy who is also maybe a number two part, a number two target in the red zone behind... Dalvin Cook, he was held in check against the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Diggs only had four receptions for 25 yards, and that's after a couple of good games in a row. So I think he's been kind of inconsistent this year. Not too much, but he has some great games, and then he'll go back down and have a not a, a decent game. But I think I don't know what to expect from him going forward. I mean, I think he should be in the Pro Bowl, but... It's it's kind of interesting to see that he only had four catches or 25 yards. He also had a big rush for 27 yards, but I think it's kind of interesting to see the production go up and down. I mean, you've seen this all throughout Dick's career. I mean, the level of inconsistency, and, I mean, it's just kind of been the same this year. It's surprising that he – I mean, Seattle's a tough defense, but it, he's been playing without Adam Thielen the past couple weeks, and it's surprising that in some of these games the numbers haven't been higher. I recently read that – it's still not looking good for Thielen to come back, so I think there's probably a good chance against the Lions this week that he is that uh, sole uh, big-time target for the uh, Vikings. But 
You know, he starts off that game with the big 27-yard rush, and you think, I mean, he gets an inch away, really, from uh, getting a touchdown there, and you think, oh, he's going to have a great game, but then he's really held in check with just the four receptions, and it, I think it happens. I think when Thielen's out, these defenses just zero in on him because the Vikings don't really have many other, you know, strong threats um, receiver-wise. I mean, Laquan Treadwell, who has been a real disappointment. They have a guy, B.C. Johnson, and then Kyle Rudolph has really emerged as a big red zone target for them. He has been catching a lot of touchdowns the past couple weeks. So, I mean, I guess they've just been spreading it out because so much emphasis has been placed on digs by defenses. And, you know, I I would expect him to have – I mean, you're playing a very, very rough uh, Lions team next week. I mean, they are – three, eight and one at this point. So not much to play for, for those guys. So, you know, I definitely see it as an opportunity where Diggs could feast and uh, have a really good week. I mean, regardless of whether Thielen comes back or not. And Anique Ngakwe, after having a big game with four sacks in the previous week or in his past four games, rather, he didn't really have a great game in this one. Only two tackles. One of them was a tackle for a loss. This was against the Buccaneers, but the Jaguars have kind of been, I think they've been one of the most interesting teams where it was Minshew mania, this this whole thing that they had with Gardner Minshew, and now he's coming back, but they struggled without him the whole time. Their defense has been decent, but they're losing to teams that they, they could probably beat the Buccaneers if their offense was there, but I think their defense has been pretty solid, but Ngakwe just didn't have it in this game. You mentioned the defense had been uh, pretty solid. I mean, they... They were awful in the first half against the Bucks. They let up. It was twenty-five. They had given up twenty-five at halftime, but only allowed three in the second half. But I mean, yeah, for the Jaguars, they just don't really have much offense uh, when Nick Foles was in. And I, I had figured that if he struggled uh, to begin this game, that uh, we could see Minshew. And sure enough, Minshew uh, is back. And then you know, but getting into Ngakwe, I mean, it was it was a matter of time. I mean, for a edge rusher like him. You know, four sacks in the past four games. He had to come back down to earth at some point. Um, I mean, still had a tackle for loss, and uh, I mean, he's been he's been really productive for the past few weeks, and I think that that he'll get back on track this week against the Chargers. And do you expect him to still get to the Pro Bowl? I know we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, but after a game like this, do you think? He'll get back on track and get to the the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I, th- I think he has a good chance. I mean, could be looking at a alternate scenario where he gets in when someone uh, drops out. Same with Diggs, honestly. I think they both have a uh, chance to be one of those first two alternates. Um, with the way it works, it's you know they they'll select the Pro Bowl team, and then there's I think like seven rounds of alternates because just so many guys drop out of the Pro Bowl. So I would think that. If they don't make it off the bat, I think that there's a good chance that they get in after the fact. And, you know, Ngakwe, he's he's really, I mean, even though after the bad week, I mean, he's really been playing so well this season. And in a contract contract year where there's going to be a lot of teams that need edge rushers and players like Ngakwe. So I think there's a good chance, there's a solid chance that he potentially sees a franchise tag from the Jaguars at the end of the season, or, you know, he just goes out there and signs a monster contract, which if he hits the open market, he's going to be one of the most coveted players come March. And 
I think that uh, that'll be something really interesting to monitor as this season comes to a close. I mean, it seems like he enjoys himself in Jacksonville, but, you know, they're not winning like they once were two years ago. And um, he already had that brief holdout during training camp. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens uh, once the end of the season comes around. So move into NFL draft stuff and talk about current Maryland guys that are going to the draft. The first to declare was Anthony McFarlane Jr., the running back, the standout running back. He is foregoing his Redshirt Jr. and Redshirt Senior season. So he's going to the draft. I think he's uh, he's an NFL-made running back. And I think he's got, he's a guy that, kind of like Stefan Diggs, will go under the radar a little bit because Maryland doesn't really use their best offensive players to the best of their abilities, <laughs> to say the least, especially this season. But I think in the combine he's gonna show, he's gonna show scouts that he's. I think he's one of the most. He will be one of the most underrated running backs in the draft. I agree. I think he will be one of the most underrated running backs. But I think it sucks for both McFarland and Leak that this year's running back class is so loaded. You have guys like DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, um, Najee Harris. So I mean, those are that's the top of the class right there. I mean. I see McFarlane and Leak as a whole different class behind them. I I think that they're both really good players, but it's 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 tough to be a running back in the draft, and it's tough to be a running back in the NFL. I think teams are going to be more hesitant on taking running backs so early because of you know what you've seen with guys like Zeke and Todd Gurley. I mean, they're great players, but they get that big contract, and the production goes down a little bit. I mean, Gurley has had a really rough season this year. Zeke as well has not had his best season. So I think that uh, teams are going to be more hesitant. I think that the first running back comes off the board, maybe late first round, probably early second. And I mean, that's, that'll probably be between one of those three guys I mentioned, but in terms of Leak and McFarland, I think that they both are, you know, third day guys, probably. I mean, I guess McFarland probably has a chance to slide into the, I mean, I guess they could slide into the third round, but I see them both more as like fourth or fifth round guys. But I think that they could both be really productive in the NFL. They're both, they're both very different running backs, but both very explosive. I mean, Leak also has the uh, strong kick returns in the bag. He was named to the uh, all big 10 for his uh, kickoff returns. So I think that they both have bright futures, and I think that we are going to be uh, seeing them do a lot of good things on Sundays next season. I mean, whether it's next season or, you know, in the coming years, I think that their future is, is very bright for them. And McFarland struggled a lot with injuries this season, but um, we kind of knew after how well he played his redshirt freshman year that this was going to be the case. Um, and then Leak just really emerged and played so well this season. He had uh, 736 rushing yards for eight touchdowns, and he averaged 7.2 yards per carry, which was seventh best in the country. So he's he really solidified himself as one of the best running backs in the country, and I think that the, the future is bright for both of them. I completely agree that the future is bright, but McFarlane in 20 games in his career had – 1,648 yards on just 245 attempts. It just shows that he's the guy that is going to, if you give him a little space, he'll find any hole and he'll just break out. And his favorite thing is going to the sideline and getting out into the sideline, running up the sideline, which he did this week against Michigan State. So I think he's, he looked at least against Michigan State like he healed from that injury, but 
you could see all year that that plagued him a lot, and I think that uh, deterred his game play. So, I mean, if he go, if he gets healthy and he puts on a show at the combine, I think he's up there in the in the top tier. But it's, had, it's very overlooked. He had a great game against Michigan State last week, and I think that's that's something that you want to see. I mean, scouts are going to want to see because. He had struggled a little bit this season, and I definitely think that was due to the ankle injury. But for these guys, I would think next year they come into the league more as change-of-pace guys. I don't think that they're going to slide right into a starting role like some of those other running backs I mentioned. But you saw with Ty Johnson this year for the Lions, opportunity comes quickly when you're running back. I mean, it's unfortunate Ty Johnson wasn't able to take advantage when the Detroit backfield was wide open for him. But I think if one of these two guys was in that situation next year, they could really solidify themselves as a really solid running back in the NFL. And do you expect anyone else on this team to go and declare and try to make a case for the NFL? Um, I'm really not sure. I mean, obviously the seniors graduating who have a chance to get drafted. Uh, Keandre Jones had a really nice season. He was an all Big Ten honorable mention. So I guess there's a chance he forgoes that last season of eligibility. But I mean, unfortunately, there weren't too. There wasn't too many bright spots in the Maryland football season. And I mean, it was pretty clear that McFarland and Leak were the two best players on the team. And I don't. I don't see anyone else. I mean, maybe Keandre Jones. I don't see anyone else. Uh, you know, leaving early. I think Tino Ellis probably has an NFL future. It's unfortunate that he um, tore his ACL back in the middle of the season, but I definitely. I think he's probably, depending on how the rehab goes, what the scouts see when they look at his medicals. I think that he is a probably a third day guy as well. You know, a fourth, seventh round pick. But I think that the future's bright for him as well if he can rehab that knee the way it should be because he, he showed some really good signs over his four years with uh, the Terps. I also could put uh, Antoine Brooks up there. Oh, yeah, I for think sure. He's, he's electric as a player and not just on the field but emotionally as well. He shows all that energy, and I think that's a guy that can definitely get to the NFL. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think the street, the two-year streak of having – a Maryland player selected in the first round is probably, unless there's some crazy change, I think that that is probably going to come to an end this year. Um, I think all of our guys are probably, you know, third round and late, third round at the best, I would say. But we'll see what happens. I mean, a lot can change between now and then. If you look back last year, people were not saying that Darnell Savage was going to be a first-round pick. He was probably They were probably saying, oh, he's a second-round pick at best, a third-round pick likely. And, you know, the same thing two years ago with DJ Moore. So, so much can, can change between now and then. It's such a fluid process with the NFL draft. So, we'll see what happens. And then, obviously, you got guys like Ngakwe and Stephon Diggs who – Diggs was a fifth-round pick and Gakwe a third-round pick and have, you know, really become stars in the NFL. So it's – it's there's – you get your foot in the door, you, you make a 53-man roster, there's so much opportunity for you to prove yourself. And we we have seen that with Diggs and Ngakwe. And I think that – I think that both McFarlane and Leach just have such a opportunity ahead of themselves. They're great running backs. And, you know, at times in Maryland that – isn't necessarily shown, like you said, 
but I think that they have a, some really good stuff coming up, That and Terp fans are going to be really proud of what they see on Sundays from them. So we'll move into NBA action. Hasn't really been too much from these guys, but Kevin Herter came back from his injury, and he only took two shots in the game against the Nets, so he didn't score, but the fact that he's coming back is a very bright spot for Atlanta. I think the Hawks have to be thrilled that he's back so soon. I think that he was probably out for around a month, and he is back already. Um, played 15 minutes. Um, obviously sucks that he didn't score, but I think he. we saw at the beginning of the season when he was coming back from that knee injury that kept him out of training camp and preseason that he, you know, it takes him a little while to get back into the groove, and he was so hot right before he got injured. So I think once he gets a couple games under his belt, he's going to get right back to what he was doing. I mean, he's averaging just under 10 points per game this year, and I think he, he'll get, by the end of the season, I think that'll be much hot, not much higher, but, you know, definitely higher in that more like 12 to 13 points per game range. And, I mean, the Hawks need him. They have really struggled since he got injured and, also, since John Collins has been suspended, but Collins will be back soon, and the Hawks should be playing better. I mean, it has just been all Trey Young, and his strong efforts have not really turned into wins, except for on rare occasions. And speaking of John Collins being suspended, Alex Len has completely stepped up now. He struggled to start the year, but he had 18 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, and a block in just 17 minutes against the Nets. And he also had 11 points, 2 steals, 4 rebounds in the game before that against Golden State. He's averaging 14 points per game and 5 rebounds per game over his last 4 contests. I think he's completely turned around and he's been the player that we thought he would be. I mean, it's it's crazy with Len. I mean, the way he'd been playing up until the last 4 games, you'd say, is this guy even going to be in the NBA again next year? Like, he had been playing that poorly and he really not fell out of the rotation. He lost his starting job. The Hawks has been really weird for them at the center position. They've been starting Damian Jones, but you know, it kind of just depends on the night. Like some nights Bruno will play, will have the most minutes. Some nights Len will have the most minutes. Some nights Damian Jones will have the most minutes. Like it's a very fluid situation. I think coach Lloyd Pierce down there, he's, you know, really just trying to figure out what works best for them. I wouldn't be surprised if once John Collins comes back, they go small and have, Jabari Parker at the four and have Collins at the five, which, I mean, I objectively, I, I would say that that's probably the, their best lineup. I mean, the, that probably gives them the best opportunity to win. But I think that Glenn has really turned it back on. I mean, the, the pressure was on outside of the past four games. He had really two good games this season out, out of a lot more than that. So I think that Glenn has uh, – if he can keep this up, there's a good chance he could get the starting spot back or even, you know, still coming off the bench. I mean, if he can have nights like this, that's what the Hawks need. I mean, the Hawks have really been struggling. And you have such an explosive point guard in Trey Young who is just so good at finding his teammates. So Len just needs to get better at converting it. And, I mean, over the last four games, you've seen it. And Bruno Fernando has spent time in the NBA. He's been going up and down to the G League and back and only played three minutes, did not score against Brooklyn. He's been bouncing back between these leagues. How do you, th like, do you think that has an impact? I'm sure it does, but what kind of impact does that have on a player? Oh, it certainly has an impact. And, you know, I 
we had talked about this on our preview podcast with Chris Kirshner from The Athletic that we, Chris and I, had both thought that he would probably spend a little bit of time in the G League because that's really pretty standard for some of these late first round, early second round, and later guys. They'll bounce around from the G League to the NBA, especially with the Hawks G League team now being in Atlanta. So I think that, you know, that was to be expected. I don't think that's any worry or any that no one should be worried about, you know, Bruno's minutes or anything like that. I had saw that he had played four games in four days between the College Park Skyhawks and the Atlanta Hawks. So that's obviously a lot of basketball, and that's certainly going to affect how he plays. And, you know, you see he only played three minutes last night and did not score. I think that's probably due to the fact that he had played in the G League the night before. So I I hope this doesn't continue. It probably will a little bit because it just seems to be commonplace these days for, you know, these rookies that get drafted in the range that Bruno does. But he's been playing well. He had 13 points and four rebounds last week against the Wolves. But he's been quiet ever since. I mean, he when he gets the opportunity, he plays well. He he really it looks like his chemistry is is pretty solid with Trey Young. And I mean, how could it not be? Like I said, he's just such a great passer. And I think that as the season goes on, Bruno matures, gets it gets more comfortable with the NBA. I think those numbers will get even better. And Jake Lehman obviously injured his toe a couple weeks ago. He has not played since then. He's had a pretty big impact on Minnesota for not playing, but I think when he comes back, I don't know when that will be, but he could make a big impact when he comes back. And he had been averaging 10.5 points per game off the bench, which was really nice, and I had seen you know people clamoring on Twitter to uh, get him in the starting lineup because he's been playing really well for Minnesota, and he missed his sixth straight game um, in Dallas on Wednesday. And the latest reports from Dane Moore on Twitter, he said, who covers the uh, T-Wolves, he says that uh, Lehman has been around the team back in Minneapolis, but has been in a walking boot. So, obviously not a good sign. When this injury first came about, I did not think it would keep him out for more than a game or two. They had listed him as day-to-day, but obviously a little more severe than we thought. But I think that once he gets back, he'll slide right back into that you know, kind of six-man spot and uh, contribute very well for the T-Wolves. So NBA draft stuff we'll go over quickly. Jalen Smith has to be the headline for the Terps right now that will go to the NBA. I think he has the potential to be a lottery pick and go in the top ten maybe even if he continues the season that he's having right now. Uh, For me, I think Jalen – has been a little bit disappointing to start the season offensively. I think last night against Notre Dame, he had the best game of the season. He goes for 15 points, 16 rebounds, and five blocks. That was a tremendous game. And while I say I think he's been a little inconsistent offensively, he has been super consistent defensively. I mean, he is getting at least two blocks in most games. So he is someone who is obviously on NBA radars, but I mean, when looking at mock drafts, it really ranges for him. You have guys like Jeff Goodman of Stadium who had him in his latest mock draft, which was before the season, going ninth. And then I saw the lowest I've seen Jalen Smith in ESPN's mock draft with uh, Jonathan Gavoni and Mike Schmitz 
that they had him going 38th. So it's re- and then you've just seen a lot in between with other sites like Bleacher Report and other NBC Sports. It's you know they see him more in the late teens, early to mid 20s. So I think his stock is really going to fluctuate. He's an interesting prospect. He's so athletic. He is built so well, but it's just, you know, consistency on the offensive end, you know, you'd like to see him be a little more aggressive offensively in the post. And we definitely saw that against Notre Dame. He didn't convert all of them. He missed a couple easy laps, but all in all, a spectacular game from Smith. And I, I'd say it was his best game of the season. Even I know he scored more points in some games, but I mean, it was one of the better teams that they've played. And, you know, just to go out there and get 16 rebounds and five blocks, it's so impressive. He's so skilled on the offensive glass as well. He's definitely an NBA player after this season, unless something crazy happened, unless there's some injury or he, you know, completely shuts it down. I don't know. I mean, but more than likely he is an NBA player after this season. And I think that his stock is to be determined. And I think it's going to really fluctuate just like how Bruno did last year. I think he's probably viewed a little bit better as a prospect than Bruno, but I think that they both fluctuate a lot. And I think that it'll be, it'll remain to be seen where that stock goes. And one thing I want to point out about Jalen that I think really affects his NBA stock is his three point shooting. He has never been a good three-point shooter, but he has been shooting it in the Orlando Invitational. He shot a lot more, and last night he made two threes, I believe. So I think that he has probably put an emphasis on trying to add that to his game because that's obviously something that NBA scouts are going to be looking for. Yeah, and the game of basketball is changing every year, so now the bigger guys are shooting and getting out and becoming more of stretch players. So. Jalen Smith needs to make that adjustment to get to the next level. Another guy that I think can get to the next level is Aaron Wiggins. I mean, if you guys didn't see his dunk that he had last night against Notre Dame, you have to go find that. It was the craziest play I've ever seen in my life. He took a three-pointer from the right wing. He left it short, and right out of the hand, he knew that he left it short, so he sprinted to try and follow up for the rebound, and he just jumps through the air. The ball finds and The ball goes in his hands, and he dunks. A put-back dunk like I've never seen before. So, I mean, this guy can do so many things. His game is really headlined by his shooting. This series kind of struggled a little bit early on in the season. I think that will change. He's had different bright spots, but overall I think it's a little bit of a struggle. I definitely think that changes, but his defense has shown me that he's taken a step and a big jump this season. What jumps out to me this year has been his defense. I mean, he, I mean, he had three blocks last night, some big chase down blocks, and he's been getting a lot of steals as well. I mean, he's he's definitely one of the better players on the team, and I think he's really an X factor for Maryland um, in terms of his offensive game. He has really struggled to shoot the ball so far this year. You know, last night he goes three of eleven from the field. Um, he's had he's had a lot of games that were kind of like that. So if he can get that shooting back on track, like it was last year where he shot over 40% from three, I think that he, you know, keeps rising on NBA radars. I saw in that same um, rankings from ESPN um, that had Smith 38, it also had Wiggins 78. So that obviously puts him as undrafted. I think Wiggins, it'll be really interesting to see how he plays this season to see if he, ends up declaring, I would 
imagine if he keeps up how he's playing right now, he would probably declare and heavily consider coming back. But I think as the season goes on, he will likely shake off this shooting rust and, you know, get back to numbers we saw from him last year. And I think if he does do that, he's a much more viable NBA prospect. But he's he's so athletic, like you said. I mean, he, he'd be a great piece to bring off your bench in the NBA because he's so explosive. He's just – he can jump out of the gym. He plays great defense. And I think that if he gets that shooting better, I mean, I think he puts himself in the conversation to be drafted. I think there's no question that he gets to be drafted. Um, I'm very high on him. I think he could be a potential first round pick. I mean, this guy is, he's in, he's not so much a college player. He's more of the NBA type player with his body, his length, his strength, everything that he does is, it just represents a strong NBA player. So I think Aaron Wiggins definitely gets there. Another guy that's kind of put his name back, back in the mix, maybe, or into the mix. We don't really know if he was in there. He was trying to test it out. Anthony Cowan. I think he's had a great season so far. He could potentially go late second round, maybe undrafted, get signed. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think with the way Anthony Cowan's playing right now, he has a really good chance to potentially be a late second round or two-way guy next year. I mean, before the season started, if you would ask me, is Anthony Cowan playing in the NBA um, to start the 2020-2021 season? I would have said no. But with the way he played in the Orlando Invitational, I think you have to put him back on the radar of NBA scouts. I had said it on the weekly podcast this week. I think that he really probably was has been playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He declares for the draft last year, and everyone really knew he was just testing the waters and he was going to come back. He only had one workout with the Sacramento Kings, and I think that that's got to motivate a guy you know, to only have one team remotely interested in you. And I think that he has proven this year that he has a future in the NBA. I mean, he didn't have his best game last night against Notre Dame. I mean, other guys really stepped up. He only had nine points. But if you look back at the Orlando, he's the MVP of the Orlando Invitational. He goes for 30 against Temple, 20 against Harvard, and 22 against Marquette. And he, we've seen this year his passing has been much better. He's averaging... 4.2 assists per game. He's averaging 16.2 points per game. And I think that if he keeps this up, (coughs) he he is known to be one of the best players in college basketball right now. I saw one thing that had him as the fifth best player in college basketball right now. I think it was from Andy Katz. And I think that he, I mean, if he keeps playing like this, he has to be on the NBA radar. I mean, we've seen... In recent years, the trend kind of go a little bit away from taking a flyer on these young guys and teams have put a little bit more value in, you know, upperclassmen. And I think that bodes well for someone like Cowan. Obviously, he doesn't have the size. They have him listed at six foot 180. Um, but I mean, he might be a little smaller. But I think that he's just so skilled. He's such a skilled finisher and he's really developed such a nice three point shot. I would, th- I would think a team would be lucky to have him coming off their bench in the NBA, whether it's on a two-year, two, two-way two deal, which sends him from the NBA to the G League quite often, or if it's, you know, just a regular NBA deal. And he's kind of the opposite of what Aaron Wiggins is. Wiggins is a guy that is kind of overlooked, I want to say, in college, but I think he'll get the NBA looks. 
Cowan is one of the best college players, but will get a little bit overlooked in the NBA potentially. But I think what you said, the tournament, the way he's been playing all season, I think there's no question the teams are going to give him a look and he could potentially get there. Um, another guy I think that won't go next year, but maybe the year after, Daryl Morsell. The way he's kind of surging every year, he's getting better and better and better. He's been great. So I think a team, he's kind of like an Andre Iguodala almost, where he just is absurd at defense and he has almost a 40-inch vertical. He's the glue guy for this team. Um, and I think that if he keeps it up, he certainly will get on NBA radars. I mean, he's playing out of his mind right now. I couldn't even, if you if you saw Daryl Morsell play as a freshman, you couldn't even imagine the stuff he's doing right now. He's just got so much better. And, you know, I think that he's probably a ways away from talking about Morsell as an NBA prospect. He really would need to do this super consistently. And then also, same goes for Eric Ayala. I think Ayala is such a skilled player, but obviously he doesn't, he doesn't jump off the page athletically like someone like Wiggins does, but I think he's so skilled and has been playing really well for the Terps. I mean, this is one of the best teams in the country. So there's going to be scouts looking at these guys all season long. And, you know, all it takes is one good game in front of the right people and you get yourself in the conversation. So I think it'll be really interesting to see at the end of the season, however Maryland finishes the season, you know, who is putting their names in that NBA draft pool. Because if it goes really well for Maryland this season, it could be devastating losses in terms of NBA players. So, I mean, obviously Cowan's not going to be there next year. And I would say very likely Smith isn't there and then likely Wiggins isn't there. So we'll see what happens. So that will do it for this edition of the Terps in the Pros podcast. You can get all of this content on our website. Jordan does the recaps for the NFL, a little bit of the NBA. So stay tuned with all of our coverage on that. And we'll have some more NFL draft coverage as players start to declare more. But we'll be back next week with another episode of the Terps and the Pros podcast.